What's up? It's episode 122, Pain Points of Wealth, and it's official. We're in a new booming bull market, S&P 500, up over 20% since last October. As the economy continues to improve, inflation coming down, job market remaining strong, yet wages are growing at a slower pace. It's almost like a Goldilocks scenario, but we're going to give you our two cents. We're past the debt ceiling now. We're looking into the future. Bob and I are going to read the tea leaves and tell you exactly what we think is going to happen in the economy. And today on The Tipping Point, we're going to talk about those gray areas that you have to make decisions on when it comes to your financial independence, that you've got to make the right decision. We're going to help you make the right decision. Check it out. We have a phenomenal show. Hey, Rye, I think think you've been a little tough on these uh, bear, these perma bears, these pessimists. I mean, come on. I think I think this wildfire up in Canada, Nova Scotia, covering acreage the size of Vermont, you know, got smoke in their eyes. They couldn't see the forest <laughs> for the trees. They they didn't realize that, you know, the economy was good, that the market was going up. So, yeah. you know, smoke's clearing now. Maybe they're finally going to get it. What do you think? They might. I mean, if you look at sentiment, it's actually improved quite a bit over the course of last week. And we had that monster move in the market two weeks ago. And if you think about it, I mean, that's kind of how markets work, right? They do nothing for a long time. They go sideways. Uh, there's a lot of consternation about what's going to happen in the future. And then bam, right? Just like that, you get a huge melt up in stocks. In fact, like small caps, which we mentioned on the show recently, uh, were up like 5 6% over five days. Like you can't time those moves. And that's why it's so hard to be an investor is because when markets move, as you like to say, Bob, they don't settle down, they settle up. It happens so quickly that you miss the boat if you're not already invested. And we talk about that at nauseum. But market timing is treacherous. Market timing is really treacherous. And it's it's so confusing because you can get everything right about your positive or pessimistic view and the market will view it differently. Right. I mean, you hear about a slowdown and all the things that are happening in the economy. Why? You know, market can't go up in the face of the Fed raising interest rates. Why? Inflation is still too high. But meanwhile, you know, we're, we have the highest capital spending we've ever had in history, right? Um, you know, all these bills that have been passed by the government that are providing funds, you know, to reshore manufacturing. Manufacturing is making a huge comeback in our country. You know, all these locations have already been locked down, um, and that's not even reflected in the numbers yet, right? So, you know, you have a big tailwind for the economy that nobody's talking about. No, they don't. And, you know, we talk about productivity as well. And everyone's talking about AI, which I don't want to talk about AI at all because I'm just tired of hearing about it. Um, like, oh, my God, Bob, we're going to use technology to produce uh, to to better our uh, productivity. Isn't that just like the history of mankind? <laughs> like, well, this is kind of like uh, it's like the icing <laughs> on the cake. I mean, you look at some of these mega tech stocks that everybody's talking about that just had this big recovery rally after a huge decline last year, but they bottomed in October. You know what else happened in October, right? They started laying people off, like Meta laid off 10,000 people. You know how much productivity that brings, how the profit margins that brings to the bottom line? You know, they did the, they made the moves, you know, to improve their their productivity and their, and their profit margins, and the stocks took off. AI is just like kind of like icing on the cake as far as I'm concerned. I think it is. And I mean, obviously, longer term, sure, of course, right? We're going to have more uh, processes that are automated where you don't need a person to do it, whether you call into one of these call-in centers, you don't need people to do it anymore. It's going to be artificial intelligence. All that stuff makes a lot of sense. But I think what's right in front of us is people are going back to the office. You know, every day I read in the journal that more companies are making people go back to the office. 
Well, that adds a lot to productivity because believe it or not, Bob, it's shocking. People aren't as productive when they're home and they're distracted with lots of other things to do. You know, so you know one of the biggest tailwinds right in front of us, and I'm seeing this already here in New York. Uh, they just opened a WeWork right across from our office. It's packed. There's a coffee wow. shop down the street that like there was nobody in there. Now it's jam packed every day because you're starting to see that trend change, and that's good for commercial real estate. But more importantly, when people are in the office, they do more work, and that's deflationary. That's great for margins. And that's a huge tailwind that's going to happen like immediately. It's not going to be like two years from now. Well, you know, here's the thing. I, you know, the, the permit bears are they're, they're pointing to, you know, the obvious, which didn't happen. But they're big, um, a big line right now, right? This market has no breath, right? It has bad breath, right? You know, like it needs some scope or something. But, you know, they keep talking about the eight mega tech stocks have carried the way. But, you know, that's not actually true. You know, if you look at other industry groups, that had bottomed back in October, you know, just like technology did. Home builders are up 48%. Yeah. Casinos, right? The gaming stocks, they're up 42%. You know, healthcare supply companies up 40%. How about construction and engineering companies up 38%? Um, so you got industrials that are up almost 30%. So it's like, it's just they ignore what's really happening. It's not just, you know, the mega tech stocks, right? Yeah. It's not just NVIDIA and Apple and Google and Amazon. Um, you know, look at the semiconductors, right? They're not mega tech stocks. All the semiconductors are up huge, you know, from the bottom. Yeah, and Europe is up 40% since October. Guess what? Europe is a very, very large part of the world. <laughs> it's not a tiny, it's not a tiny speck of, of the entire, uh, you know, global markets. Uh, in fact, let me look at like France and Germany. They're at all-time record highs. The S&P is, 500 is not a record high, but European bourses are. So, yeah, and that's it's like a complete uh, miss. Uh, it's misrepresenting what's really going on when you hear that. Um, now, I would be careful here if you look at the S and P five hundred. If you look at those big mega cap eight stocks, right, which is Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, Google, Tesla, Nvidia, Meta, and Netflix. I think I got them all. That's twenty six percent of the S and P five hundred. <laughs> So if you're buying the S&P 500 right now, you're not getting that proper diversification. And I think that could be a big problem. Well, that's the thing. You know, when you look at, uh, you know, those stocks that are really ramping up um, and you've had a big move in, in Europe, you know, and Germany is officially in a recession. Again, that's why it makes it so hard to be a good investor, right? It's so counterintuitive. You know, everybody predicted Germany was going to be in a recession. What they didn't predict was their stock market would go to an all-time record high. So, <laughs> you know, the market's forward-looking, right? And you can't predict what's unpredictable. You can't know what's unknowable, right? You don't have a crystal ball. And when you try to, oh, my goodness gracious, you, you screw it up. Um, so when you look yeah. at, you know, you look at the market right now, right? It's been led by tech. It's been led by international. So what, what's an investor to do? Well, how about value stocks? You know, they were our big winners last year. They're lagging right now. They're catching up quick. You got to get on board. Yeah, and you have an opportunity to get on board here, right? It's not too late. And I think that's that's the really important message. And meanwhile, you know, I'm still hearing the naysayers out there. We talk a lot about the naysayers because, man, oh, man, like not only are they wrong, but they're doubling down on being wrong, <laughs> is, well, the economy is still going to go into a slight recession this year. Well, my argument's this. We didn't go into recession last year with literally inflation at a 40-year high. <laughs> you know, we had... Mortgage rates over 7%. They might still be over 7%. And I think inflation peaked at like 9%. Now inflation could be 3% by the fall. You know, you look at uh, credit conditions are starting to ease a little bit. Interest rates are starting to cool off a little bit. 
So why are we going to go into recession now when economic conditions are more favorable, when we didn't go into recession, when economic conditions were way less favorable? That makes no sense at all. Well, you know, here's something that uh, is a dirty little secret. Um, you know, the household wealth just hit $149 trillion. Um, Now, it's not an all-time record high. It's down, you know, from a couple of months ago. But, you know, $149 trillion, right? We're the wealthiest that we've almost always have ever been in history. Now, put that in perspective. You, know, you go back to the dark days of, you know, 2008, 2009, when you had the great financial crisis. We were only at $70 trillion in household wealth. We're at $149 trillion in household wealth right now. And that's with real estate down, right? Wait till real estate starts to come back, which it will. Um, that's just with the stock market going up. So, you know, there's a lot of wealthy people out there. A lot of them are my friends, right? They're retired. They're laughing at me, you know, for doing this podcast while Chris trapes around Europe. You and I have to work. You know, what's what's up with that, by the way? I'm used to it by this point. I'm used to it. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, look at like the baby boomers are spending, right? You've got, um, you know, they have a lot of wealth, right? They're going out to dinner. They're, you know, they have health issues. So they're, they're employing the health industry. Um, and that's one of the reasons why we have a lot of demand for service industry jobs. You know, our baby boomers are just like spending like crazy. Go baby boomers. Yeah. Baby boomers love to spend. I think that's uh, the sun rises in the East. Baby boomers love to spend. They have 55% of the wealth in this country. And even, you know, look, the disparity of this wealth in this country is a big deal. It is a problem. But if you look at the lower income earners, they're seeing their income go up the most since the pandemic. Now, of course, there's still a big gap to fill in there, but that's really important because those lower income earners are now making a lot more than they used to, even above inflation, which is great for consumer spending. That's great for the overall country, and no one's talking about that. So there's definitely problems. You know, it's not all uh, rosy. And look, you can just watch all the financial media channels, get all the negative news. We just want to highlight here there's a lot of positives going on. And bottom line is don't wait to get invested. If you missed the boat already, look, the future doesn't look darker. It looks brighter. Get on this move. Hey, hope you're enjoying episode 122, Pain Points of Wealth. Everything you hear on this podcast, along some due diligence of your own, can help you get ahead financially, literally at any stage of your journey. But if you're thinking, I need a more hands-on approach, I want to get some advice from Bob, Ryan, and Chris, well, here's your shot to do it. If you saved over a million dollars for your financial independence plan, Simply go to www.paincm.com slash financial plan to see if you qualify for our total financial master plan. That's where we review everything. We literally will go through every investment that you have. No other firm out there on Wall Street will do this. We'll build you your own personalized financial portal. We'll get a bird's eye view of your entire financial life and just hone in on every financial issue you need to address today. Whether it's an income plan for retirement, how are you going to live off your portfolio? How do you take Social Security? How do you factor in inflation so you don't run out of money? We're going to look at diversification. Has your portfolio been all over the place? Has markets been extremely volatile? Or have you been just sitting in cash, paralysis by analysis, trying to figure out what to do? We put together a full investment game plan, show you how to grow your wealth, but most importantly, protect it over the rest of your life. And we're going to do a complete deep dive of all your investments, show you where all the hidden costs are, show you how to reduce the cost on your portfolio, whether it's in those annuities, mutual funds, insurance products, brokerage products, they're fee-laden. We're going to show you how to reduce that cost and optimize your portfolio for taxes. It's not what you make. It's what you take. You'll get our full tax playbook. Simply go to www.paincm.com slash financial plan to see if you qualify for a free financial review. 
All right, it's a tipping point. This is where we pinpoint the pain point, having the biggest impact on your wealth right now. So, Bob, you know, at our firm, Pain Capital Management, of course, that's P-A-Y-N-E. It's not like we're pain management. We're not a chiropractor. We manage people's wealth for a lot of wealthy families. And, you know, one of the things that we do is we address a lot of these gray areas that you have to make decisions on when you're trying to get on your own path to financial independence and, you know, at some point want to live off of your assets. And, you know, there's a lot of questions that we get often that we could talk about today that not necessarily uh, are black and white. Now, you know, Rod, wealth management, there's, it's an art and a science, right? It's, uh, you know, the math is easy. You can do a wealth projection. You just plug numbers in and then, you know, the math comes out and either going to make your goal, achieve your goals or not. But we know it's a lot more than that. It's very emotional. And literally right before we started the podcast today, a client called me up and he goes, Bob, what the heck is going on? We've got, you know, we just get out of COVID. And all of a sudden, you know, I go out yesterday, I can't see my car in the driveway because there's so much smoke, you know, piling into New York, out of Canada. He said, are we at the end of days? I mean, we're going to have locusts and, and, you know, pestilence coming, coming forward. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, mentally it's tough to handle when you have all this negative stuff coming at you to, to make smart decisions when it comes to your financial planning. Sounds very biblical, Bob. Um, but yeah, yeah it no, was. it's true. It was very biblical conversation. Well, yeah, I mean, the media kind of plays on your emotions. And that's why, like, I don't care with all the AI, all the new technologies, all the availability of information, we're not better investors today than we were 20, 30 years ago. In fact, human nature, human behavior tends to do the same thing over and over. <laughs> so I know there's it, like absolutely no institutional memory, right? We go through all these bubbles and fads. And, you know, I mean, people someday are going to realize there are no new eras, right? I mean, it's it just got to study history as a guide. It's it's so simple. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it, it really is. Um, but you know, when it comes down to it, when it comes to your financial independence, you know, you've got to come up with a plan that takes the emotion out of it, and you've got to make a lot of decisions. And I think one of the bigger decisions you have to make is do you get rid of debt? And you know, we talk about good debt, bad debt. But when it comes to that mortgage debt on your house. Well, maybe you locked into a two, three percent mortgage, or maybe right now you have a mortgage that's higher, like five, six percent. And the question becomes, do I pay that off in retirement or do I keep that outstanding? What's the right decision? You know, that's a really hard one, right? Because, uh, you know, a good buddy of mine, good client, he's a big time divorce attorney. He said, that's the hardest thing to settle right now. Nobody wants to sell their home because they got a two and a half percent mortgage. Like, they know what a sweet deal that is. Um, but, you know, it comes to a, it's really a, a, a personal decision, right? In a lot of cases, uh, when we're, we're making wealth projections, you know, our clients can keep the mortgage. You know, because they're making a better return on their on their you know financial assets, or they could pay it off. And I think it really comes down to how you handle you know your debt emotionally. If it keeps you yeah. up at night knowing that you have a mortgage, right, that you don't own your home, well, I'd say you know pay that off right away. So again, that's it comes down to numbers, but this is, that's really an emotional decision. Yeah, and I mean financially, it makes sense, right? If you have a three percent mortgage, you get a five percent treasury right now. Well. You probably don't want to rush to pay that mortgage off. But to your point, it's just like, do you want to have that monthly payment in retirement? And a lot of times it's like, it's not going to change your life. Maybe just pay it off if you have better peace of mind around that. You know, the, the other question is right now is where tax is going to go. And, you know, for all intents and purposes, we actually have relatively low taxes based on history. And Bob, last time I looked, we have a really large debt here in the U.S. You know, I don't know if you watch the news. But apparently, you know, it's in the tune of uh, over $30 trillion. <laughs> you know, so, well, yeah, I do watch the news, right? And they tell yeah. me every night, really, really doesn't matter. Don't you listen to these yeah. politicians? Yeah. You know what? You know, we'll just print more money to, to make up for it. I mean, that's uh, 
I think that the ultimate uh, financial conundrum is what we're going to do with this debt. Yeah, right. I think chances are you're going to see rates, you know, tax rates go up if you ha have to make a bet. But, you know, it's amazing how every year they, they screw with the, the uh, tax code. It's always changing, ever changing. I mean, you know, right now we've got a $12 million unified credit, you know, for estate purposes that sunsets in two years um, back to 5 million. I mean, it's, you know, you got, you got to pay attention because the rules change. And if the rules change, you know, you've got to adjust accordingly because, as you always say, it's, it's uh, you know, it's not what you make, it's what you take. Right. So, I mean, the bottom line is taxes could go up from here. I know it's hard to believe that. Actually, it's not that hard to believe. So one thing you want to look at right now, we talk about this a lot, is your retirement accounts could be ticking tax time bombs. If you put a lot of money in your 401ks, IRAs, well, at 72, so actually 73 now, you have to be forced by the IRS to take that money out and pay taxes on it. So it may make sense before you turn 73 to start converting that money now to tax free. So, you know, again, it's, it's a gray area, something you want to talk to your accountant, your financial planner about, but these are the kind of moves you want to think about today while taxes are relatively low. Now, that makes a lot of sense, right? You know, like it, it, it's, it's a known known, right? You know what your taxes are, you know, when you're going to push yourself into a marginal bracket. So you have room, whether you're working or not, um, you know, to probably make some moves. And a Roth conversion, I think, has always been like a brilliant strategy. I'm, I'm kind of surprised that that rule is still in the books, right? We're still doing backdoor Roths for everybody every year who qualifies. Um, you know, we encourage all of our clients to do Roth conversions on an annual basis. And it's just amazing when you think about, you know, tax-free forever. I mean, that's just, uh, yeah. that's like music to my ears. I mean, optimizing the taxes on your portfolio is huge. And most of us just don't take the time to make those simple tweaks that could be like hundreds of thousands of dollars that you don't pay in tax, but you're not paying attention. It's crazy. You know, the other uh, gray area is when do you take Social Security? And I think a lot of rule of thumbs, I can say it rule of thumbs, I think a rule of thumb for people is I'll just wait and take it later because the benefit's higher. Well, if you're at full retirement and you don't want to wait to age 70, a lot of times the argument would be to take it earlier because we don't realize is if you wait to 70 to take that benefit, that's four years that you gave up of taking a benefit. It could take you to age like 80 before you break even taking it later. And my question always is, Bob, like how lucky do you feel? How long are you going to live? Do you know? Yeah, and I think that's something that I've learned over you know, 50 years, Rye, of working with people is that, not everybody thinks the way I do, right? It was, it was kind of a shock to me, but, you know, you kind of, you, you, you look at the, your future, you, you look at the current environment, you know, through the lens of what you grew up with, right? So, you know, some of my clients' parents, you know, grew up in the depression and that had a big impact on how they think and how they view things. So I think it has a lot to do with your, your emotional makeup when it comes to investing, um, how you feel about the future, um, you know, really makes a, a difference on whether you know, you should claim your Social Security early or little, in the middle or late. Um, depends on your confidence in your investment strategy and your investments abilities. So there's always a, a, a lot of different ways to claim it. Don't follow a rule of thumb. You know, you should work with us or a financial advisor to look at the different strategies because we can work numbers out. And it's a lot easier to look at numbers on a paper than to make an emotional decision. You know, like, am I going to live to 70? Am I going to yeah. live to 90? Um, you know, you just, you, you know, nobody wants to talk about their own mortality. I, you know, I certainly don't. Yeah. The, I mean, the other question too is that we're seeing a lot right now is like, look, healthcare costs are a big deal in retirement. We're living longer, retired longer. And if you're getting to your fifties right now, a big question becomes, do I take out a long-term care policy? And this is a gray area because 
you know what? Some of these long-term care policies aren't terrible um, and they are worth looking at. But for a lot of you too, you might just be better off self-insuring. And the question is a lot of times, am I going to invest the money better than the insurance company's return on that long-term care policy? And I will say, this is not a black and white issue. Depending on your situation, you know, it might be better to self-insure. It might be better to get that policy. But I would say this, when you're in your 50s, you should start thinking about that. Don't wait because then the premiums become cost prohibitive when you get into your later years, like your 60s and 70s. Yeah, right. Um, probably cynical, but, you know, as I get older, it seems like the insurance companies always win. You know, I mean, are you getting that impression? I mean, it's, just take what's happening in Florida. You know, we had a couple of hurricanes. So what are the insurance companies doing? They're all leaving, right? It's like, okay, we made a lot of money here. We're not, we don't want to pay off claims. We're just going to go. Um, and I saw that happen with a lot of long-term care policies. You know, the insurance companies just fold their tent when it no yeah. longer seems to be a profitable opportunity for them. So I think you got to explore all the different avenues. I think that's really good advice. You really do. And always be careful with insurance. You know, the insurance agent's not your friend. I know I'm generalizing here, but be careful because they can also jack up your premiums year after year. So, you know, these are all the important issues you have to address. Um, and you have to start thinking about them the sooner the better. Uh, and again, there's no right answer, cookie cutter for everybody. It's got to be unique for you. And that's really when it comes down to good planning is don't take the rule of thumb. Figure out what's optimal for you, not your neighbor, not your brother, not your sister, uh, because financial planning really is something that's got to be customized and unique. All right, it's the hidden facts of finance, random financial facts that may surprise you or even shock you. All right, Bob, at 8.7%, Saudi Arabia recorded the fastest GDP growth in the world last year among all major economies, according to the IMF. In 2023, it's expected to be another lucrative year for the world's biggest oil exporter. The UAE was just behind at 7.6%, and Qatar grew at 4.8%, its fastest rate in nearly a decade. Sounds like oil-based economies are running pretty hot, Bob. Yeah, they are, Ryan. They probably will for a couple of years. Um, I know we're going we're gonna to move to a, a more green future, but it's not going to happen tomorrow. And, you know, I think it's a lesson learned. You know, a lot of people abandoned investment in the uh, oil industry and missed out on a great opportunity for, for good returns. But, you know, I think Saudi Arabia clearly sees the, the right handwriting on the wall. It's why they're moving into a lot of different areas like Live Golf, right? They just merged with the PGA. Um, they need to, you know, find different ways to generate revenue uh, for their economy because at some point in the future, oil is not going to be the answer. Yeah, apparently they're building their own kind of Dubai over there as well. So it might be fascinating to see. Uh, you might be doing your next vacation in Riddha, Bob. I don't think so, buddy. <laughs> All right, Bob. Hendrick Besson Binder's work. I think I said that right. Found that just 86 companies accounted for half of all the gains in the stock market since 1926. Bob, that's 86 companies. Crazy. All the wealth creation in the stock market since then can be attributed to around 1,000 of the top performing stocks, which was just 4% of the total. That's like picking a uh, needle in a haystack, as they say, Bob. Yeah, you know, Ry, I, I think that the, uh, the folks on, on these financial news channels uh, should read that study because all they do is push individual stocks, right? And and you got the greatest investors in the world, like Warren Buffett, who claims he's invested in four to five hundred companies and ten worked out. Uh, you know, you talk about Peter Lynch, who's running Magellan Fund. He said six out of ten stocks are going to be losers. Um, and in this study, it showed that the majority of stocks 
that have been publicly traded since 1926 underperform a T-bill. So, yeah. you know, you can't beat the market. Why try? The greatest minds in the world can't do it. This study shows that it doesn't happen anyway. When's people going to get the message? I mean, yet there's networks like CNBC that are on all day talking about picking stocks to beat the market. Yet you're it's like going to the casino, I guess. Right. It's the it's the dream of winning. But uh, they're not building these multi-billion dollar casinos because it's favor. It's in your favor. So, yeah. And they don't give you free drinks when it comes to the stock market casino either. So <laughs> that's just just plain wrong. Yeah, it is wrong. You know, we should start giving free drinks, you know, as we I think so, right? I think that maybe maybe that'll increase our marketing effort. Hey, (laughs) something about our next marketing meeting. Um, All right, Bob, last stat here with 1.4 billion people and counting, India will soon dethrone China as the world's most populous nation. India's population is also young. More than 40 percent of Indians are under age 25. And India's real growth is projected to average 6.3 percent annually from 2021 to 2030, allowing it to surpass Japan and Germany as the world's third largest economy, according to S&P Global. Wow. Yeah, pretty pretty amazing, Ryan. I mean, it, and there's still a, some brutal, just brutal poverty, like unlike anywhere else in the world is in India. But what I think what a lot of folks miss is that there's a huge middle class, upper middle class uh, growing in India. Uh, I think you and Chris were just out to see a client of ours in California whose family is from India. And said that uh, they had a Louis Vuitton store where the the lines were around the block. Um, yeah, you know, you know. So their economy is growing. Uh, again, it's going to impact the global GDP. And you know, just look at the um, you know the the national Indians that have left India and and in countries around the world, how well they've succeeded. So it's a well educated uh, you know class of people that are doing extraordinarily well. And I think that uh, you know India is going to have a huge impact on the global economy. It's another reason why you should be bullish. Yeah. I mean, again, have a global portfolio, not a domestic portfolio. The world outside the US, believe it or not, is growing faster with a younger population that's growing. Um, you got to see the writing on the wall here. You, know, you got to have money elsewhere, not just in the good old USA. Yet, I still do love America, for the record. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed episode 122, Pain Points of Wealth. If you love our podcast, really love it. If you don't, you should love it. Uh, if this is iTunes, please give us that five-star rating. Leave us a comment. Tell us that you like our podcast. Let people know. If it's on Spotify right now. You can subscribe. And if you're watching this on YouTube, you can like this episode. You can subscribe to our channel and click that notification bell so you can be updated every week of all new content. That's it for this week's Pain Points of Wealth. Stay loose and keep an open mind. Thanks for listening to the Pain Points of Wealth. Hopefully you found the ideas discussed in this episode valuable and useful for your own financial journey. You can find out more about Bob, Ryan, and Chris's firm, Payne Capital Management, at BeBullish.com or through the contact information found in the description of this episode in your podcast player or app. Join us next week for another episode of The Pain Points of Wealth, brought to you by Payne Capital Management. Information provided on today's show is provided for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Investment is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed.